You've done this. You're a knife man, Joe. You know how it feels. You can't imagine a thing like this. How can you? It's all set up. You do this and we win everything. I know how it feels to love a baby, Joe. I know how it feels to have a baby feed at my breast. Ella. There was a smile, wasn't there? Well, we said there was. Just one moment of real life before he went away. I gave him that. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Film, a podcast that is not about Scottish films. I'm Paul Salt. And I'm Katie Maiden. This week we are back in Scotland, but still in the 21st century, for the 2005 BBC's confusingly titled Shakespeare Told. Episode 2, Macbeth. You're a knife man, Joe. You know how it feels. You can't imagine a thing like this. How can you? It's all set up. You do this, and we win everything. I know how it feels to love a baby, Joe. I know how it feels to have a baby feet at my breast. Ella. There was a smile, wasn't there? Do you remember? Well, we said there was. His one moment of real life before he went away. I gave him that. Yeah, Shakespeare retold if you didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, Shakespeare retold as it should be called, but it was stylized in a fancy way as Shakespeare told, which made looking for it really difficult because I didn't know what version people would be using. Yeah, this um, was part of a four-part yeah. series. So they did Macbeth, um, Tame Me the Shrew, Midsummer Night's Dream, and Much Do About Nothing. Yeah, so very impressive casts throughout, I see. Yes, indeed. Very good. Yeah. And I've seen them all, and they are all really great. Mm, fantastic. The idea is to move the uh, action into a modern setting. And in the case of Macbeth, we have a Scottish restaurant where sous chef Macbeth and his wife, the maitre d', plan the murder of the celebrity chef owner, a sort of Gordon Ramsay alike. Yeah, so this is the third adaptation where we've had like a kind of yeah. restaurant y theme. It is very strange that that should be. Well, yeah, certainly the third in which we see Macbeth cooking. And that's, yes. <laughs> a, that's an interesting sort of thing. For a row, in fact, very odd. Um, so yeah, his hour upon the stage. How was this television film? So this television film, <laughs> mm. it was good. It's, yeah. Um, so James McAvoy, who plays uh, Macbeth, yeah. is so good at being crazy. We're going to have to just jump straight into <laughs> to this. Into what bloody man is that? Because, yeah. Well, the whole film is about James McAvoy being crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah. this is a very Macbeth-focused Very character-driven, very performance-driven, and it has to yes. be said that early on there's a sequence in which he, as the sous-chef of this restaurant, is sitting with Banquo, who is sort of um, head, uh, some sort of subordinate chef. Yeah. Uh, chef. Like, next rung down, chef-chef. And they're having a conversation about um, when he was a boy and he tried his first, like, oysters and yes. um, squid and such. And during the sequence, I was just trying to figure out what is it about James McAvoy that is so compelling. First Sparrow. No. <laughs> Monday the 3rd of July, 1992. Double domestic science. I was the only boy and with 30 girls. All the other guys did metal work. This was the day when you got to bring in whatever you wanted to bring. Cook whatever you want to cook day. You did. Well, to his very great credit, the teacher went along and ate it with me. Ever since, I've loved the crunch of tiny little bird bones in my mouth. See, people think the food's all about taste, smell. It is, but it's not. It's also about sound. 
What is yeah. it that just draws you to him and makes you want to invest in him? Because early on, he's this big, charming, charismatic man. And then later on, he has to get crazy. And both are great. So there's a scene at the beginning where they're in the in the kitchen and he's yeah. singing. My heart can't wait another day When you kiss me, I just gotta Kiss me, I just gotta Kiss me, I just gotta Say, baby, I love you Come And he's yeah. like, everyone, do you love my singing? And they're like, yes, chef. And he's like throwing things around and he's bold yeah. and charismatic and everyone loves him and it's fun. Yeah. And I love that scene because then you switch to the restaurant scene where it's all calm and connected. Yeah. And Lady Macbeth is there. She's the kind of, um, I don't know what the word for it is. She's like the lead waitress. Well, she's the maitre d'. She's not a waitress. Yeah, that's it, maitre d'. Yeah. And, um, and it's all calm and clear. I love the contrast between like yeah. the two scenes it was so beautiful. And just James McAvoy just filled the space. He just yeah. fills up every space he's in. Yeah, there's a class dynamic there. This idea of a working class kitchen and an upper class, you know, people who are eating, and it yes, it exactly. kind of plays into some of the resentment that ends up building. But yeah, it was thematically, it was very interesting the things that it did with um, James McAvoy's character. You have. Um, Early on, this speech he gives about this pig head. He lays out a big pig mm. head on his table, and he talks about how a kitchen is about respect. All right, first rule in a kitchen. Respect. See this animal? This animal was noble, highly intelligent, was feeling, and it died for us. You never forget that. And then cut to him immediately butchering it, really brutally and savagely, like cutting it all off and cutting it apart and yes. it's this interesting sort of dichotomy that exists within him where he has rationalized this fairly brutal thing that he does for a living against some form of ideal that he has and obviously that's going to then play into his justification yes. of duncan's murder his idea of his um using every part of the pig so yeah. he uses like all the offal yeah the so the stuff that a lot of ears. people like throw out yeah and that's to him that's the idea of respect use everything and yeah. he there's a similar scene with a lobster where yes, you know they yeah. boil the lobsters alive yeah somebody's teasing it and like you know yes. holding it saying oh you're not going to be giving me too much of that later on using like clippy hands and he's like no don't do that and at that stage his justification has changed and it's still about respect but also if you um it's the thing that duncan said because if um, you keep him you have to keep him calm the lobster exactly. and then yeah. he'll taste better once he's boiled yes because duncan relays a similar story where he talks about as a kid being uh, woken up out of bed by his mother to come watch the father killing a pig i think and basically yeah, he says like and little duncan asks his mum, why do we kill it like this is it you know nicer for the pig and rather than say yes it's a painless death the mum says it makes the meat taste better if you kill it you know peacefully yes yeah one of the yeah. things we're kind of like overlapping you know, oh yeah, we're all over here. the shop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I loved about this was that they didn't try too hard to be Macbeth. Like it yeah. is Macbeth, but it didn't. Yeah. There are some films that we've seen where they've tried so hard to keep every single element that it didn't work. Yeah, and you're like, why are you keeping this part? It doesn't fit at all with your storyline. Whereas this bit, they changed a lot, they but did, it yeah. worked because yeah. that was. It's a modern setting. This is the first one where they address things like forensics. Yep, <laughs> mobile phones. And um, they've got mobile phones. You yep. know, this is the first one where we've got 
be like, oh yeah, they're going to have to address that. It's like someone sat down and really thought about all the things yeah. they have to address if this was a modern setting. And I like that because it really yeah. makes it work as opposed to, uh, you just try to push this in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think there are hints at the language, but it's largely a very new script and is a very good one. Some of these monologues are really excellent, you know, hearing yes, you know, James McAvoy talk very passionately you know, about his love of cooking and about how that pertains to his philosophies is very engaging. And also Lady Macbeth later on talking about her experience of losing a child. Three days and two nights. Then they cut me open and out he popped. Clean as a whistle, but tiny like a bird. With tiny lungs and a tiny heart. Then three more days and nights, Joe and I sat looking at him in his little box. Hooked up with tubes. We didn't go to sleep. I held him once. They knew it was over, so, so they gave him to us to hold. He put his little mouth to me. And then he died. You know, there were some really good memorable bits of writing in here, which I think is very impressive so they picked their elements didn't they so the element of like mclean and beth losing a child it's like two lines in that original play but in this it's a big part of it yeah it's a big part of the character which we have seen before we have seen a couple of times yes we have a couple of times throne of blood men of respect yeah Mm. a couple of times they've focused on the idea that she lost a child men of respect they actually made it Macbeth. joe Macbeth as well was there when joe Macbeth? I think that in Joe Macbeth she said something about yeah okay. having lost a child. Ah, interestingly, this is the third time that they've called the guy yes, Joe Macbeth. Joe Macbeth. Are we How just bizarre? missing something here? I don't know. Was is he something... always Joe? Like, is Joe or is like it a just... super Scottish name or something? Well, I just, maybe it was like at the beginning, like the first one who did it, which would have been Joe Macbeth. Yeah. Maybe people just carried on with that theme. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe, maybe he what, is, his first name is Joseph. Well, it makes you wonder because maybe he's, Oh no, we know that his name must be Macbeth, right? Because there's no place called Macbeth. He is initially Thane of... Um... No, it's not Thane of Glance. Glance, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, right, we've gone all over the shop. Let me try and... Um... Yes. <laughs> so back to the sort of cinematic style of the thing. Yes. It's interesting that we've got... There's some really interesting shots. Like um, we've got faces ne- um, next to each other in one sequence. One of them upside down. Like mm, Macbeth is yes. on his back, lying back, and he's got Lady Macbeth next to him. And the eyes are level. And it's this yes. interesting sort of idea of them being, you know, it's visually articulating this sort of Macbeth's world is being turned upside down and the Macbeth, Lady Macbeth is the one who has the power here. Yeah, so we've also moment. got a great shower scene where she's showering oh, yeah. and he sees the shower as blood. Yeah, he keeps So she's like blood. showering in this blood, which was just like so yeah. eerie and gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so it's a really beautiful looking film. In terms of the justification for the murder, in fact, I was going to come on to this when you mentioned something earlier. It is, there's a suspension of disbelief you need with this premise, like the premise yes. of Macbeth. And <laughs> yes, that is the idea, in any adaptation, in just the general story, you've got to have it that Macbeth decides he's going to kill this person in order to assume their position. And yes. the further away you take that from sort of 12th century Scotland, the harder, <laughs> the harder it job. becomes. Yeah, because... Sure. I mean, it works with the gangsters, doesn't it? That That's yes. where it really works. Yes, the fast food restaurant and the Michelin star restaurant is a bit crazier. But, I mean, in particular, there's a moment at the beginning where he's talking to Lady Macbeth and he's like, and I, I met the witches, who we'll talk about in a minute, and they, gave, they they were right about 
this thing that they predicted. Mission and she stars. says, yeah, and she says, they said we'd get three stars. That's amazing. <laughs> Anything else? And it's like, would you? <laughs> if your partner came home. Yeah, you'd um, be like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> you'd humor them, right? You'd be like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. They must, that's a big coincidence. Anyway, um, let's talk about anything else. You know, you'd, you'd move on rather than be like, what else did they say? Yeah, you know. because it's modern. It's not like, obviously, yeah. back in, you know, medieval Scotland, it's like everyone's a witch, so whatever. Exactly. But you, even if it's set there, you suspend your disbelief more. You'd think, yeah, probably, they probably would buy into that back then. You know, whether or not they actually would have is another thing. But yeah. you but think also, that they would. Some people who have done the modern thing use like yeah. um, tarot card play, like yep. people or, or soothsayers, that kind of thing, which kind of works because those people are around. But but this, in Shakespeare's Hold, the, the way that they're doing it is they're kind of being like, look, we know that this is Macbeth. Yeah. We're telling you it's Macbeth straight up. Straight off the thing, we're retelling yeah. it, so you kind of already know what to expect. So it didn't yeah. actually really bother me because I was like, "Yeah, I'm... like that's far. Like I know what I know. It's Macbeth. I know yeah. I'm looking for the witches." So yeah, exactly. And and that happened a couple of times, but just as a movie, like as yeah, as a thing, movie, yeah. I um, yeah, I occasionally just thought, "Wow, it's kind of crazy how they just jump to murder and how they kind of go along with that." Because you get yeah. two scenes. There are two scenes of convincing Macbeth to do the murder, um, which isn't much. <laughs> no, um, I, I do have to agree with you on that kind mm. of um, as a as a film. If I if it hadn't been Macbeth, mm. if I hadn't known it was yeah, Macbeth, sure, and yeah. they'd called it something completely else, I would have been like, seriously, what are you <laughs> like? What is going on here? You probably would have questioned I mean, that a bit more. Yeah. Like, who because... is this guy? What... Yeah, but because you know it's my best show off the bat, it's a bit different. But I do yeah. agree that, like, as a standalone movie, if they just called it like James McAvoy in Kitchen or whatever, then <laughs> it probably yeah. would have been a bit, you know, it would have like, been a bit what? odd. Yeah. yeah, if this happened in Ratatouille or um or what's it called? The... <laughs> what's the movie? Is it called <laughs> Chef? The John the John Favreau one where we oh, a sandwich. I love Chef. It is oh, Chef. Yeah, if that happened, the one in where that... he opens like a he opens like a. What's it called? Like a, a car. grilled cheese. Cubans. Yeah. They were the name of the uh, sandwiches. Yeah. Oh god, I could go for a Cuban right now. I will say it does make a compelling case for him to be dissatisfied because James yes. McAvoy is this excellent chef. We established that he's sort of a genius and really naturally talented. Yeah. But Duncan is getting all of the credit. He's a celebrity chef. He used to have a television show of some sorts, and he's the one who's getting all the credit to the point where he's even like wearing a chef suit. You know, with fake blood. Even though he's not applied. doing any cooking. Yeah, no, yeah, just in order to make up appearances, and yeah, yeah you so get that. This is you get the idea of that seeping. Sucking. Sorry, this is seeping hmm. into like, um, the you know how closer we are to Shakespeare, but sure. But they've changed Duncan in this. They've changed yes. him actually quite dramatically because in the hmm. first in the play, he's a sympathetic character who's old and yeah. wise and pious. In this, he's. An asshole. It's lovely to see you again and to meet you. Are they here? Duncan, I was just saying goodnight to those people. Good night. Good night. Hunters like their chefs rude. He's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really disliked him. Fair um, enough. I really hate it when people take credit for other people's hard work. Yeah. And I, I was like, you know what? You kind of deserve to die. I really don't <laughs> like you. Yeah, and he also flirts quite, you know, uh, openly with um, Macbeth's Lady wife. Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. Which, Elle, yeah. is that her name? 
Ella? Ella, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it does make the case for them to not like him, which is cool. But yeah, the the line of succession thing is, and it's it's made and that becomes more comical later on, which we'll we'll see when we get there. But yeah, it, it's it requires a little bit of a leap of dis, um, a suspension of disbelief in order yes. to get that because in the original play in Macbeth, it's interesting how they say, "Hey, one day you're going to be king," and he kind of takes it as given that that means yes. he's going to kill because the first thing he says is something like. Well, maybe I don't have to kill him. Maybe it'll happen naturally. And then as soon as yeah. he finds out there's a fane of Northumberland or something, he's like, oh, I guess I will have to kill him then because I'm not. I'm going to have to get past that position or overleap it. So, yeah, I mean, he yeah. could have just left it and seen what happened. Yeah. We never know. Never know. <laughs> um, what, speaking of comical, there was one line that really made me laugh. Oh, yeah. It's when someone mentioned Gordon Ramsay. Yes. And everyone said... Sorry, Gordon Ramsay? Bad luck to say it out loud. Just call him a Scottish chef. Yeah, that was funny. And I was like, <laughs> I like "That's that. hilarious." That is really the good. Scottish chef. <laughs> also, because Gordon Ramsay's kind of hot. So. <laughs> Fine. Um, one last note on the film as a film, which is, for the most part, the music was good. It was, you know, subdued. It stayed in the background. There is, though, an instance of music that I really disliked. There's this little sort of. Do do, yeah. which sounds like it's going to be the Bond theme. Hello, hello, Every single time, <laughs> um, but then it's isn't. like almost comical, isn't it? Yeah, it's light-hearted. It's like a wacky yeah. kind of Scotland PA style piece of music. It's really at odds with the rest of the film, and they use it very often. Yes, to the point all where the time. it kicks up. Yeah, to when it kicks up, you're just like, "Oh god, this again!" It, it distracted me, and that's the worst yeah. thing that film music can do is distract you from what's going on. It was. It wasn't at all the right, like no. yeah, like you say, ambiance. It should have been creepy. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was like it was kind of like doo, 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 doo. I can't even yeah. describe. Yeah, it was, yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, it and they kept playing it over moments like really dramatic moments of like Lady Macbeth scheming and such and it's like what do you want me to feel here? Yeah. I'm confused. I'm emotionally confused. <laughs> okay. Uh, fair is foul. Foul is fair. So in terms of Shakespeare we've rearranged some things and mm-hmm. one thing that we have done that I really like is we've put more space between Duncan's murder and Banquo's murder. Yeah. Because loads of space. Like Loads of space. Like, and I like at least that. half an hour. Maybe yeah. 45 minutes, yeah. Because in the play, scene, Duncan is murdered. Scene, everybody finds out. Scene, Duncan, uh, Macbeth is king. Scene, Macbeth conspires to kill Banquo. Scene, Banquo is dead. Like, it's, it, yeah. that's how quickly it happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Here, we get a bit of time for Macbeth to feel worse and worse about Duncan's murder, for him to get yes. more unraveled, to start turning on Banquo and mm-hmm. having scenes where... Like, he yells at him in the kitchen and kind of turns on him. And a bizarre sequence in which he insists that he licks the waiter's head because he um, because of something to do with sweat. It's it's kind of justified. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> a couple of, like, really nice scenes between him and... I think yeah. his name is Billy. Billy Banquo. At, at, the be- at the beginning where they're, like, having drinks and yeah, they're having jokes so and good. they're good friends. And he, like, the first scene where he sees him, he kisses him full on the lips, doesn't he? He's like, Mwah. he says, you're crazy or whatever. Yeah, he says, you're crazy. And he's like, but you love me. And I love that. That's such a, like, yeah. you know, best friend's moment. And Yeah. 
very cute. Yeah. And then later on, there's a sad echo of it when after he snapped at him and Macbeth goes to apologize to him, he says, you know, something again, like you're losing your grip. And he's like, but you love me. You know, it was a sad little echo. And that was really good. I believed their friendship, which made the murder, you know, very you know, sad, which is good. I like the way that they give that more space yeah. so you can really feel the moment. And there's a little bit where Macbeth um, gets someone to take down a picture of Duncan from the wall. Yeah. Because he's yeah. just like, I can't look at it anymore. Like, Yeah, because I miss him so much is what he Because I miss obviously. him so much. <laughs> he was really broken up about Duncan's murder. He told the police. I think it was the police. If I had died an hour before Duncan Doherty, I'd have died a happy man. Now, it's as if everything that was important in life is gone. Nothing can ever be serious again. And then weirdly, Lady Macbeth says the exact same thing to a press conference. Implying, I guess, that they kind of discussed this. They got their stories straight beforehand. And they're just yes. reciting this. Yeah. yeah. There are a couple of other things that are moved around, stuff yes. left out. We did talk about um, how Duncan is kind of different in this. He's also in yeah. it for a lot longer. Yes, he, he is. It, I think about, it. it's about the half hour mark that he gets killed. Oh, it might be later than that, even. Maybe even later. Um, yeah. We have the, the baby storyline where yep, we have the baby which is a lot of like it's a lot more what's the word prominent yes it's more importance is put on to the idea that she's lost her child and um, there's no like ross no ross well we can go through some of our extra segments yes. there's no no ross a police officer tells Macduff that his family has been murdered and yes. there's no porter speech either there's uh no, no porter, porter there yeah uh, we'll come to extra goats in a mo- extra goats. We'll come to extra goats in a extra, moment. No extra goats. <laughs> no extra goats. Only the ones that were necessary for lunch. <laughs> One bit of rearranging that that I don't know uh, was a little out was that they put the second prophecy sequence, in which he's told that he's basically invincible this time until pigs fly. Uh, yeah. Which we'll come to when we talk about the witches how they get around that. But they tell him that you're invincible until pigs fly. Uh, but beware, uh, Macduff, the the the, wait- the head waiter in this. Yes. Um, which again, I think making him the police sergeant might have made more sense. But anyway, they make him the waiter. Um, putting that prophecy before Banquo's murder, I'm not sure about that because he's just basically been told that he's immortal. You know, kind of that no one's going to yeah. touch you and that you're fine. He needs to murder Banquo in a moment of fear and desperation, and he's got reason to fear him because of the first prophecy. Which yeah. is intact in this, the idea that Banquo's kid is eventually going to, you know, get everything that Macbeth has. So there's plenty enough reason for him to kill Banquo then. Doing it after the second uh, prophecy, I don't know, it takes some of that impetus away for me. Yeah, because he it's like, kill Duncan because of the first prophecy, kill yeah. Banquo because of his fear of of him and like, his sons. saying stuff and his sons because of the first yeah. prophecy. Yeah. And then have the second prophecy and kill more people because of the second prophecy. Yeah, because yeah, the second prophecy doesn't have anything to do with Banquo. No, it doesn't. So yeah, that one I don't know. That one felt a little odd for me in terms of motivation. Also, I did think that the the killing of Macduff's family kind of came out of nowhere, and I wasn't sure what was happening. So I saw the, like the the bloody bed scene. Yes, that was odd, and I didn't know that was his family. I was like, "What yeah. is going on here?" Until we had the scene where he's told by the police officers, yeah. and I was like, "Wait." Oh, that's what happened. Yeah, like, I think they were gunned down in their beds, is the idea. Because we but see a I, bed. I didn't notice it was them yeah. because they were in bed. So. Yeah, we see a bed and we see a shape moving around underneath it. And then suddenly there were gunshots and these pools of blood start to appear. And that was, yeah, meant to be that. There was a sequence early on which confused me. It, he 
McAvoy fires two washes up. And I didn't know what that was about. And I thought, how does this, who are they analogous for? Um, And at that point, I kind of thought, well, maybe I shouldn't be trying to figure this out. Because if I, there's a reason I'm trying to figure out who's who. And that's so I can have a better grasp of what's going on. You know, if I know that that's meant to be blah, blah, then I know why it's important that they're getting fired. But if I stop thinking about that, if I forget for a minute that this is an adaptation of Macbeth and just think, why is it important to see James McAvoy firing two people? And then after he feels bad about it, he gives them a big payoff to go away. Yes. What that demonstrates, first of all, that this is a man with principles who wants all of his staff to be passionate and that he himself is compassionate enough to give money when he feels he has done wrong. And that's important. That's good stuff to articulate. Well, he does it because Lady Macbeth tells him to. Oh, does he? Yeah. So Lady Macbeth brings in these two new dishwashers and says you have to fire the old ones because she wants to pin the murder on the new dishwashers because they're immigrants. That's interesting. That I eventually got. Eventually, I did get that. Um, yeah. You know that he pinned it on as soon as they were due to go home, and he very ominously tells them to go and get uh, get a good night's sleep, and then stares at them. I was like, "Oh, they're the guards," and that's why yes. I defy those two. But I missed the bit where Lady Macbeth instructs it. But I don't know why. Yeah, why they couldn't just be the the dishwashers from the beginning. That's I don't true. know. Well, but, yeah, I kind of like that he had this like principal thing where he was yeah. like, you know, take this money, go and be a poet, go and travel the world, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want them to like get in any like trouble or anything. Yeah, and this was the first step of the plan, I guess. You know, this yes. is the first thing he's actually had to do to be involved in this murder. So he already feels guilty about it and has tried to throw money at the problem. So, yeah, that's good. But I think, yeah, for the, for the last few of these Macbeth adaptations we're due to watch, I'm going to try and receive them a bit more passively and not try to connect the dots quite so much because, mm. you know, you could end up missing sort of character moments if you're trying too hard to figure out which one is, um, you know, Lennox. Um, yeah, we don't need to know. As long as we know who Macbeth is, who Lenny Macbeth is, yeah, exactly. the rest falls into place. <laughs> okay, I want to know what the hell this scene was about. It's after Duncan's murder... Mm-hmm. Macbeth is in the kitchen. It's early morning, and a guy appears. Oh my god, I know which scene you're talking about. It's only proper that I admit at this juncture that I'm more likely to look kindly on the sins of a confessee and the sins of a bloke what has made me work for my pound of flesh, if you'll excuse my Shakespeare. He's a health inspector? He is. And he starts going around, like, making vaguely ominous threats. Um, and says, oh, I could have you written up for this, but I won't because reasons. And I don't know what that was about. I'm wondering if that's, like, the Porter speech. Because he was kind of comedy. Yeah. He was kind of funny, and it comes at the same time as the Porter speech would have been. So I'm I'm kind of like, it was that, the Porter speech, but it was a totally unnecessary scene, but it also did (laughs) add some tension. It did, because you kept getting the impression that he was actually talking about the murder. So he was almost like Which a Which is fourth... what the Porter speech does. It adds tension, but it's also kind of comedy. Yeah, it, he was kind of like a fourth apparition, almost. Because only he and Lady Macbeth see him, and maybe he's there to like heighten their sense of guilt or yes. something. It was very unusual. Basically, have no idea what was going on with that. Yeah. No, that was a strange one. <laughs> the only segment left in this part is extra ghosts, and... We didn't get any ghosts. We got a, visions. He kept seeing blood everywhere, like on his hands mm. or We We got like a, faces. he said, at one point he said, did you not see him sitting in that chair? Now but we never see the ghost, do we? Now I have something to say about that. So it's the breakfast meeting uh, yes. to be held after Banquo's death. Banquo's dead. 
And, you know, they're saying, where's Banquo? And he says, oh, um, I've not heard from him. And he's like, well, do you want to check your phone? And he checks his phone and there's a voicemail there. And it's a voicemail that Banquo left just before he was murdered. Yeah. Then his phone rings and it seems to be a video message, mm-hmm. which everyone seems quite uh, impressed by. I guess this is 2005. <laughs> and so they gather around and it's called like bike, uh, Banquo Biking. Yeah. And the video footage is of him on his bike, but suddenly McAvoy freaks out, jumps across the table, grabs the phone and collapses on the floor. Yes. And Lady yeah. Macbeth does her usual, it's custom, you know, he's been like this since he's a child, etc. Please go away. And they do. At which point he says um, he was sat there. And I think when he says he was sat there, he means before the murder. Like, um, uh, okay. I, think I it means, thought you know, he meant like, he, there's a ghost. He was there. Yeah. Sitting in that chair, <laughs> he was on to us. No, I don't think he saw a ghost. Mm. I think he is telling, he is confessing to her that he had Banquo killed because she doesn't know that at this stage. And so it's kind of like he was sat there and he knew the truth, and so I had to do it. Mm. I think that's what he. I think that's what he meant. But yeah, it was an interesting sequence. That very different. Last thing I want to say on this being an adaptation of Macbeth is at the very end. Um, and this is, again, it stretches incredulity because now Duncan's kind of waster son, played by Toby Kebbell, who was, you know, portrayed somewhat comically early on as a bit of a, me- a bit of a mess up, but who had been demonstrated as getting more savvy in the business because later on he recognizes that Macbeth has used the wrong source. Yes. Um, he's Malcolm. Yes. And he becomes head waiter after, um, after Macduff murders Macbeth. I guess Macduff got arrested. Um... So Macbeth gets murdered, and now Malcolm is the uh, king of this kitchen. He's the head, <laughs> and he's out—he's out having a fag break, I think. And he sees the three um, witches, witches. Um, pulling away. And as they pull away, they go around a corner, and there is Fleance or whatever yes. it's called in this. This is my favorite way to end Macbeth: is to have Fleance. It really is. Like I think it adds yeah. so much more depth to the idea <laughs> that actually this is circular. Yeah, it is. And uh, I do agree that that's good when it's one that's about a kingdom. But in this, the implication is that kid is there looking at him thinking, I'm going to take your kitchen one day. (laughs) (laughs) That restaurant's mine, mate. (laughs) Yeah, and this kid is like 10. He's on on like a little push Yeah, it's going to be a while. You're probably going to retire from the restaurant business by the time this kid is due to become king. This kid doesn't even have GCSEs. (laughs) He hasn't even done his sats. He couldn't do you eggy bread right now, but one day... (laughs) <laughs> eggy bread is hard i'm sorry hey. but i make really good <laughs> eggy bread and it is you know you have to dip just amount of like egg and then yeah <laughs> you see there's artistry in every dish everything. that's what Macbeth understood everything not just every dish. everything everywhere tram up the consequences did they show the murder now no they did not what they did instead is they cut from Macbeth about to go in and kill duncan to some England fans outside in the street yeah, chanting. Like, England, yeah. And one of them strays behind the others and starts screaming. And then we cut to Mac- Mac- um, McAvoy, <laughs> McAvoy Macbeth. Um, having done the murder and you know finds his wife, which is very interesting. That contrast and why they chose that imagery. 
Like, are they relating football hooliganism to the violence that Macbeth has done? Why is England important in this context? It's, yeah, it's curious, that one. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very weird. Very weird stuff to think about. One last note on the murder is when he's talking to his wife, he says he looked at me as if I was going to help him. And that really got to me, the idea that he's just stabbed a man and the man, rather than being angry or, like, hurt, looks at him as if to say, please help me, I need help. Like, the, yeah. the shock and the confusion of that, that that invokes, that really got to me. Okay, what bloody man is that? We've already talked about him. It's James McAvoy. He's amazing. He's, okay, so he. this really reminded me of Split. Because he's just so crazy in this. And he does yeah. crazy so good. He does, but he does charming so good as he well. He does so as well. So it's like, all of it. it's like they mixed the atone- atonement yeah. with, <laughs> with Split. And they came up with this adaptation of Macbeth. Yeah, he's so great. <laughs> he's so handsome and he's charming and he's Scottish. and he's <laughs> so Scottish. He's, so, he's actual Scottish. He's crazy. <laughs> His face is like so yeah, expressive. He's kind of greasy and I love him. And that's it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast about James McAvoy. <laughs> I could have like literally just watched him playing like a Gordon Ramsay style insane chef the whole time yes. because when he's like, you know, laying into other people in a restaurant, it's interesting. It's always mm. interesting to watch what he's gonna do now. Yeah, I want a so, series that's like Hell's Kitchen, but with James McAvoy. Yeah. Is... Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, he then at one stage, um, oh god, this is the most exciting scene almost because someone comes down. He's just gotten into a big fight because he's messed up with the sauce. And a waiter reappears and says, uh, someone upstairs says you didn't cook their lamb, right? And he oh. picks up the hunk of lamb and storms out the door. And I'm so happy <laughs> because I know what's happening. He's going to go confront this customer. Yeah, it, it, it's just oh, it, it's just exciting. It's exciting to see. I don't know. There's something about seeing a relatable situation, like some, mm. people having dinner in a restaurant disrupted by something extraordinary. This has legit happened to me a couple of times. Oh my god! I, I worked in a pub like twice. Oh okay. Um, We're gonna no. say chefs kept yelling at you. Sorry, I worked in a pub um, a couple of times, but I worked one of them for two years, and um, mm. people used to say, "I give them their like steak or whatever, yeah. and um, or roast," and they used to say, um, "Yeah, this isn't cooked how I wanted it. Like I wanted it well done, and it's right or yeah. whatever." Mm. And I get answers, and I'd say, "Look, they say this isn't cooked right," and the chef would always. He would take a thermometer, put it in, and be like, that is the exact right temperature. If they want to come down and cook it, it says, ah. look, mate, I am the waitress. Yeah, customer's always right. Cook it more. Just cook it again. Like, just do it again and let me... I I'm, I earn my £9 an hour. Yeah. Whatever. But <laughs> the, the chef would always think he was correct. Um... Which he probably was. I mean, like, he knows how to cook a damn steak. But also, I really want to go to some of those customers. Maybe order the veggie option. (laughs) Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, the chef's not the one who's got to eat it. You know, people upstairs are going to eat it and they want it a certain way. And it it recalls, like, the famous myths, which I think have both been debunked. But there were myths going around about, first of all, the invention of crisps, which is a guy kept sending his potatoes back to be cut thinner <laughs> until the guy eventually, you know, cut them really thin and fried them and made crisps. Oh, I, I think that's that. been debunked. I really hope that's true. I, I know. I so wish bad. so too. It's it's cute. Uh, the other one was this, um, the invention of the chicken tikka masala, which might be true. I think it was a, a guy in Scotland who sent his curry back and asked for it to be served with gravy. And the chef panicked and was like, I cannot put gravy on this chicken curry 
that's insane. And so instead he improvised a, um, you know, a tomato-y kind of thing and chicken tikka masala was invented. So, you know, sometimes it's good to send stuff back. I never do. <laughs> no, I never do. I was eating with you once. The time we were eating in an uh, Italian restaurant and I ordered something that was meant to be parcels of pasta with a cheesy sauce. I bit it. I'd never had it before and I bit into it and I was like, oh, I don't like this. But I'd never ordered anything in a restaurant before that I just didn't like. And I didn't yeah. know what to do next. What do you do? Just be like, oh, hey, I don't like this food you've brought me. Oh, do you need it different? Do you need me to change something? No, I just don't like it. Please take it away. Can I have something else instead? Yeah, the only time I've sent stuff back is um, when it has been... I've had a couple of times where it's been meat, and I'm like, this is... Oh, shit. Yeah, this is not what I ordered. This is not the veggie option. Or, uh, you know, they've they've put parmesan on it, and I'm like, I'm really sorry, but, (laughs) you know, this is... You might think this is vegetarian, but parmesan is not vegetarian. No. Like, that's not okay for me like i'm not one of those people sorry but you have to change it and then they look at me like they're usually like okay with it but i can tell in the kitchen they're probably like ah fussy vegetarian yeah Yeah. (laughs) well at least you've never had mcavoy come scream at you but um yeah to finish that yeah mcavoy (laughs) comes out throws a hunk of lamb on the table and it's like you know is there something wrong here you know and the, we cut to the guy, and they've cast this guy. Immediately, I'm in a scared sort of, you know, oh, God, something horrible's going to happen. This is really going to ruin the restaurant. But then they cut to the guy, and the guy they've cast is such a London city guy. You know, the kind of guy who mumbles yeah. something as he shoves past you on the pavement. Immediately, I'm siding with McAvoy. Yes. <laughs> the guy doesn't say anything. He just goes to stand up, like, to start something or exert his own, you know, presence. And McAvoy just grabs him and drags him out of the restaurant. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> That's Get the thing. Him. I was kind of siding with McAvoy for most of this because it's James <laughs> McAvoy. So True. even when he's playing like a bad guy, like in Split, I'm kind of like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just let him win. He speaks like Bane. He's the best. He's the Baney best. So, yeah. Uh, James McAvoy was brilliant in this. This is one of my, you know, a really great thing. One of the, my favourite things I've seen him in, I think. Yes, um, really good. But there was stiff competition there. Serpent under it. Rate the Lady Macbeth, Keely Horse. You're too full of the milk of human kindness, Joe. Thank you, Duncan, for the slap on the back. I'm so very, very grateful. Is it shaming to hear the truth, Joe? What kind of man is it who doesn't feel humiliated in the position you're in? What kind of man is that? Yeah, I liked her. I thought I that her, her madness was like throughout, which is like right from the beginning, yes. which is really good. That's that's how well, to do the madness. She's cold and ruthless up front um, yes, in the way is. that she deals with people. Like Duncan keeps hitting on her, but the way that she deals with it is very much, you know, she kind of she's playing the game. Yeah, she kind of gives it back. She not flirts back, but she kind of like throws it back at him. She kind of flirts back because yeah, but a scene where he's in, a, like... in a way that where she's like kind of brushing him off too. She doesn't really like lead him on. In another life, I'd make a pass at you. In another life, I'll let you. But witching woman, sleep well, chef. No, I guess no, I guess not. It's she's very much going to use his you know attraction to her for her own benefit, and yeah. Then we get more sense of how ruthless she is. First of all, when she convinces Macbeth to do this. But then, when he fails to leave the knives behind, of course, as we know, or well, there's something complicated with the no, knives. No, so, He's so cut what himself. happened was, um, mm. so yeah, Macbeth had cut himself earlier right. that day, and as he oh. was killing Duncan, the the cut on Macbeth came open. 
So his blood was then on the knife. And because right. this is the 2005, they would be able to test the blood and see that it was Macbeth's blood and not Duncan's. So he brings the knife back and says, look, I think my blood got on the knife. Right. So then they have to switch the knives. But because oh. this is 2005, you can tell what kind of knife goes into a person by like the serration and everything. Yeah, yeah. So Lady Macbeth has to not only go back upstairs and put blood on the knife, she actually stabs him again with the presumably knife presumably show... into the wounds that Macbeth had created yeah yes to show that he'd been in Duncan which is brutal yeah brutal. it's very grim and it involves much more involvement than because normally I think in the play it's written that she goes up she gives the daggers back and she smears the, some blood onto their faces from the knife um I think is all that's implied that Lady Macbeth usually does in the murder so here she's really stepping that up and doing a lot more yeah, she gives a really good couple of really good speeches. I will say one thing though: when she's giving her big dramatic speech about having lost a child, the camera hasn't established who she's speaking to yet, and it pans around, and we think, okay, she's going to be talking to, maybe she's going to be talking to the police, maybe she's going to be talking to a really a, a, a financier, and this is going to be her like messing things up. She's actually just talking to two random punters at the restaurant, and the punters then get let in. And their facial expressions does not betray what the fuck was that lady talking about. They're just kind of bored, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I would have been like, <laughs> I don't want to go to this restaurant anymore. Yeah. This is freaking me out. <laughs> this is freaking me out. James McAvoy is fighting that man. Keely Hawes is telling us about her dead kid. I think maybe we should go to McDonald's. Yeah, so we, ha- well, we have um, quite a dramatic death scene, though. I-, I quite like the death scene. Oh, yeah, her suicide, yeah. Yeah, so she's um, up on the roof walking barefoot along the thing, and I, whenever someone is walking up on a roof in a film yeah. or TV show, I'm like, damn, they are going over that shit. Like, they like, are going to Martin And she did. She genius. fell backwards off, off the yeah. thing. It was pretty grim. It was grim. Everyone was trying to race up there to stop her, and it was, yeah, it was Yeah, it was, was it Malcolm that was... Somebody went up there, one of the people from the yeah. kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, it was dramatic. And I think yeah, she did she did crazy well. But this is probably the first time in our history of doing this that we've preferred Macbeth to Lady Macbeth. We almost always prefer Lady Macbeth because she is probably the better character. But, yeah, um, I think obviously she stole this one. Macbeth is of, often played in this Passively? kind of like Yes. Passively, yeah. but also just I'm a bit bored of him by the end. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what's about Beth again? Like, <laughs> give me Macduff, come on, he's the hot one. But like, <laughs> in this, it was James McAvoy, so he was always the hot oh one. Oh my god. <laughs> and no, that's yeah, what James McAvoy really was tip top. One of those rare occasions in which Macbeth was hotter than Lady Macbeth. That's, <laughs> that's what made all the difference. <laughs> it made so much difference. <laughs> no, she was hot too, though. Too she fun. was. She was. Okay, speaking of hot, weirdest sister. <laughs> You're John Macbeth. How did you know my name? We know everything. We're Bidman. Nothing we don't know. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what yous are. Three of them, Joe. Three Michelin stars coming your way. And that's not all. Oh, no. The restaurant? The whole caboodle. It's gonna be yours, Joe. Oh, yeah. What about me? Less happy than him. Yet more happy. We had three Ben guys, and ben when guys. we first meet them, my thought was, "Oh, is that Michael Smiley, aka Tires from Spaced?" But it wasn't. What it was was a slightly younger Ralph Innocent, 
who you might know as one of the Greyjoys who convinces Fionn to take Winterfell and then ends oh. up being murdered. Or the dad from The Witch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slightly more overtly, probably. The Vavitch. And then one of the other guys, the other older guy, is apparently the voice of Peppa Pig's dag, dad. So we've got some dads in these witches. Oh, that does. <laughs> yeah, so they're like bin men. They're bin men. And they are the ones who have like the most Shakespeare. Yes, they way. allude to Shakespeare, including uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow at one yes. stage. All the great excitements that get us from cradle to grave, the sound and the fury. It all ends with us. Incinerated. Obliterated. No more. Yesterday's breakfast. Yesterday's meat. Yesterday's men. All our yesterdays. All our tomorrows. Bye bye. 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 Stop! They also say something that I really liked, which was he said something about how do you know all of this? And they say, you know, from like the waste, the bins, the trash yeah. tells us everything, which kind of implies the the cauldron y. Yeah, and, but also kind of like death. You know, yes. they are mm. where things return. You know, no matter what, no matter how fancy the restaurant is, ultimately all the food ends up in the bin one way or another and all the people eating them eating it as well. Mm. You know, it all ends up back as, you know, trash or waste. Yeah. So, but also, there is allusion to the fact that they are a vision ah. because Banquo yes. sees three different bin men who are just like regular guys and he goes, yes. where are the other bin men? Yeah. And they're like, we're the only ones. And then they go away yep. and then the the witches come. So it, yeah. it's almost like they're an illusion, but they're not. It's like only Macbeth and Banquo can see them or something. I don't know. Yes. And it's interesting that you've you've, you've hit upon a thing there. Banquo goes to try and find the witches. Yes, which doesn't happen in the play. No, in the play, though, it is clear that Banquo continues to think about the witches because at one stage he goes to Macbeth and says, I've been thinking about those you know, witches. And he yeah. says, we'll talk about this later. So he does continue to think about it. It makes sense he would try and find them again to get more information about, you know, what's going to happen with him and his sons. But the witches do not appear to him. Yes. In this. And what was the, I think the only reason he sees them originally is because they are appearing to Macbeth and he happens to be with Macbeth at he's, the time. He's his plus one to this vision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we didn't actually know you were going to bring a date to this vision. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. But obviously, by that time in in the play, the, yeah. um, Banquo is usually dead. He is, yeah, by the second vision. So, um, but yeah, still interesting addition that they added that. Yeah, in. absolutely. Um, so they've correctly identified. They predict that he's going to be given Michelin stars. That's his fate of Cordor moment. Yeah, and that indeed. proves the prophecy. And then later on, they prophesize that he won't die until pigs fly, and a pig lands right on his head. And then the way that's realised is that just as he's about to fight Macduff, there's a police helicopter, so pigs flying. I literally thought, because I had I've seen this before, and I couldn't uh-huh. remember this bit. You know I've seen this okay. before, I have it on DVD. Yeah, yeah. And um, I couldn't remember that bit, and I, I thought in my head that it was going to be an act, because they're in a kitchen, I thought it was going to be like an actual <laughs> pig, like being thrown yeah. over his head. I don't know, but no, it was a helicopter <laughs> with police. Yeah, because... The whole point of that prophecy, I guess, is to make Macbeth feel invincible, and the writer therefore has to come up with something that sounds like you're going to live forever, but then is actually a sort of subtle hint, you know, at the fact that they're not. And, you know, a forest moving to the castle, you know, that's a pretty good one. But yeah, pigs flying, I like that. And I I couldn't think of another more inventive use of, like, double entendre to make that happen. So I think that was good. 
ultimately i would say the witches were a good malevolent and sort of malicious presence yes they were very they were um yeah mean not mean but they're, yeah they're kind of they're controlling mischievous yeah they, they like kept la- they, you know they're always laughing and sort of chanting and yes. they just seem like troublemakers uh-huh and i quite like that okay he needs not our mistrust now we have a scene where macbeth is he's just murdered Duncan and one of his staff, who I don't think there's an analogue for initially, comes up to him and says, they're going to pin this on me because I've got a record. You know, I previously stabbed a guy. And Macbeth says, well, you served your time for that, so now you're all good. That's how that works. And he says, you never forget it. And I think the point of that is to, you know, articulate to Macbeth that this guilt is going to chase him for the rest of his life. And I think that's quite good. Turns out that is going to be our murderer. Yes, for the he is. Film. Yeah, I think he kind of Macbeth uses this as a kind of like, you're going to do this for me because yeah, I've got something on you. Kind of thing. Well, he says, you know, you've got to kill Banquo because he's going to turn you into the police. Oh yes, he does. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Yeah. Um, and then presumably he does the same thing with Macduff. It's a bit. I'm not sure about it. It's a bit convenient, you know, to just have this guy who's just going to do any murder that Macbeth, Macbeth wants done. You know, yeah, but that question. is, you know, he couldn't, couldn't really do it himself. No, I guess not. I, I don't think that would have worked. Sometimes he does do murders himself. Not, yeah, I yeah. He, has he ever killed Banquo himself? Yeah, Scotland PA, he killed Banquo. Yeah, shot, I just, it doesn't work for me with Banquo because Banquo is like his BFF. Yeah, and you, he's got to have some sort of like, yeah, I don't know, detachment. Really yeah. oh, fair enough. But I think it's um, fine. Like, I just, I didn't really think about that that too much. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what the play's banking on, is that you don't think too much about this guy, but I did. I, I, I kind of thought about him a bit, and I felt he was a bit too easily led, perhaps, so I had a bit of issue with that character, um, who I believe is unnamed in the actual finished thing, but oh well, it was it's fine. It's a small blip. Overall, in summarising, I think I liked this. It was, um, yeah, it was really good. Very performance-driven, good use of the Shakespeare mythos, a really good demonstration of how you adapt something like Shakespeare. Yes. You, Take the stuff that resonates, change it around as you need to, and create something new. Yeah, that's something that men of respect, for example, failed to really grasp. Yeah, I really, I liked Shakespeare Told in general, all four of them. Mm. Um, I loved the Taming of the Shrew one. I think you can find all of these somewhere um, online. I think you can buy them on Amazon for like three pounds or something. Yeah, um, you can. If you want to check mm. check Macbeth out, go for it. But also check out the other ones; they're all really good. Yeah, the Tame of the Shrew one. She is like a politician. Mm. Um, and then you've got the Much Do About Nothing is set in a like newsroom, which yeah. is really cute. It's got Billy Piper as the um, as oh the, yeah, like young um weather girl. <laughs> and then you've got the final one is Midsummer Extreme, which is set in like a centre park. <laughs> so it's like the forest is like this, like it was so cute so yeah oh check these out they're really good fun one thing i would say is like with this even though they're modernized this is not one to show someone like a GCC student no or this student. is a novelty I, I this is a novelty for people that you know love shakespeare and want to like revisit it in a modern setting but yeah. it doesn't use the language it doesn't follow the exact plot no like it's not one to show someone that hasn't actually seen Macbeth before because it's not no they're Macbeth. gonna get confused. I mean it's, it is Macbeth but it's it's not really is it no it, it's gonna lead to confusion I think if you, yes if you go for that exactly not your first one yeah <laughs> not your first time please ladies and <laughs> but some contrivances aside I think it was a very strong effort yes I liked it a lot 
Absolutely. So, A Charmed Life, what is Katie Shakespeare fact? Okay, slight quiz for you again, Paul. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, in 1964, Shakespeare was the first non-royal to have what, or to do what? Oh. Well, it's not to get a certain kind of burial, because that's... Is it some sort of uh, statue honour? Almost. It's very close. Um, In 1964, Shakespeare was the first non-royal to be on a British postage stamp. Oh. Yeah, because nowadays we have all these types of stamps with, like, Harry Potter (laughs) on them and, you know, Star Wars or whatever. But yeah, Shakespeare had that (laughs) honour to be the first non-royal in 1964. Rightly so. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay. How can people find out about the postage stamps that you're printed on? Oh, I wish. One day <laughs> I will be on all One day. Because I am the queen. You can find out about me at Katie Writes About on Twitter and Instagram. You can also read my blog, katiewritesabout.com. And you can listen to my other podcast, um, which is called Have You Ever Heard Of? And this week I was talking about George Blake, um, ah. a British spy who managed to escape to the Soviet Union. So if you're interested in history, head over there. Hmm. What about you, Paul? Well, for me, you can stay right here on Screen Mayhem and read some of my reviews that I've been writing up. My uh, The Five Bloods review is uh, getting some attention, which I quite like. And other film reviews will be coming out very shortly. Uh, there are also podcasts here on Screen Mayhem that I occasionally feature on, uh, such as Screen Mayhem Extra. Or you can go over to OGT Pod, where me and another guy called Paul, it's very hard to tell us about, Paul we... Paul's. All the pools were all there, all together, and we're reviewing <laughs> bad movies and finding good things to say about them. So check oh, us out it. there for, for that kind of thing. Uh, meanwhile, back here, we are off to the other side of the world next week for an Australian adaptation uh, set in the sort of Melbourne gangster scene. Love it. Hooray. A bit of sunshine now, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> More gangsters, though. I'm done with gangsters. Oh my god, I'm so Sorry ready to be it. done with gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> This, I think this is our last time again. Is anything going to be as good as Joe Macbeth, though, the first? Nothing has managed it as well as Joe Macbeth. It's no, crazy. We're going to have yet. to offer a prize for best gangster adaptation of this. I think <laughs> I think there are at least four contenders. So Yeah, we we've should. had McBool, Joe Macbeth, Men of Respect, and yeah, now Macbeth one. 2006. I guess we'll see. Until then, away and mock the time with Ferris Show. False face must hide with the heart doth know. Bye. Bon appétit. Mm-hmm.